This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. The human soul, right? The human person, of course, is composite of body and soul. And I'm sorry, I am going to leave off the body for just a few minutes <laughs> because I figure we know about that. And um, uh, we're going to concentrate on the soul, the spiritual part of man and the, the faculties of the soul and how the soul works, which, of course, it never works without the body, though you might get that sense tonight. But just trust me. <laughs> okay, um, We know that it's united to the body, but I'm going to leave that off while we examine and just zero in on the nature of the soul itself. Okay. So um, the soul is an interesting thing, the human person. This is kind of a long list of the order of the universe. And I have to say I'm borrowing this from a friend of mine <laughs> that I studied with, Kevin Kaiser, in fact, who lives in Minnesota. Um, but he, he created this list as a scientist um, of the order of spiritual world and material world, that there is a hierarchy of more complex, more developed to the least complex. And he come up, he has something at the bottom that I don't even know what it is. But biology majors, maybe, you know. <laughs> With this. <laughs> then, then we have some fun pictures to go, right? So um, there is something that's smaller than an electron. I don't, uh, but anyway, this, this might be old by now. This is at least five years old. So they tell me in science that you have to update. So sorry about that. But you can see the material world has a hierarchy, This the spiritual world. And in the middle is... <laughs> this mixture, this crazy mixture of um, spiritual and, and material being. Here we are, the human person <laughs> in the middle as the, this uh, amazing creation that uh, God thought up <laughs> and that loved so much that he would become one of us. It's going to be the kind of crowning point at the end. And this, the, the soul is, uh, has powers to it, sometimes called faculties. Um, and I use that interchangeably, sorry, I'm used to both. Um, and you probably already know. Usually, here's where I test the audience. <laughs> what are the powers of the soul? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> if you have the handout, you already know. Okay, so it's the intellect, the will. And sometimes we have to mention, or the, the intellective is the intellect and will, right? And the sensitive powers is kind of a long list. And then vegetative powers, right? So this is what the soul can do. We are going to center on the intellect and will, the intellective powers, which are the spiritual faculties of the soul, we say. Um, but don't forget the sensitive ones are important, and that's our daily life, like imagination is actually a sensitive power. Dogs can have imagination. The reason we know that is they dream. <laughs> they have a dream. Memory is a sensitive power, though it spans into the intellect. And the passions is something we often think of um, as uh, a bridge between the body and soul. And they're like psychosomatic reactions to reality. Passions are fascinating. We'll talk about those in a minute. There are other sensitive powers like locomotion, um, moving self from place to place. Um, and then there are vegetative powers. This is really cool. We actually don't have one of these vegetative powers that plants have. Photosynthesis. Although kind of a little bit. You need vitamin D right, from the sun. We do it a little bit, but not like a plant does. We don't grow off the sun's rays. Um, but we do have those powers, right, of... Um, Nutrition and growth and reproduction, vegetative powers. But they're not like levels, like this is a level of the soul, vegetative, and on top of that is sensitive, and on top of that is the intellect and will. It's not like that. <laughs> it's all united in one. So the sensitive and vegetative powers become united to our intellective 
powers in a certain way, right? So um, we wouldn't say vegetative um, powers are the lowest thing that we do. Reproduction is down there, right? So we don't really say that, right? It's different in us because we can think. And so, but it's still the same power that we share with other animals and um, plants. <laughs> I almost said vegetables. <laughs> so, um, oh, we have little pictures <laughs> just to make things beautiful. Okay, all right, so here's where we have um, the intellect and will broken down into just their operations, the nature of the intellect and the nature of the will. It's kind of a, um, a long thing that I'm gonna summarize here for the sake of what happens, what, what, are, what are they made for? <laughs> so, so the intellect has uh, three major operations. We we're going to say abstraction, okay, judgment, and reason. <laughs> so we're going to go through this really fast for your philosophy majors have to hang on for a second. <laughs> right? um, so the intellect is our spiritual power of perceiving something and being able to abstract a concept from natural world around us. Notice that all the information is required of something around us to, to get into our intellect or concept. It happens naturally. We don't have to say, I'm going to abstract right now. <laughs> Later on, maybe you have to say that with the higher things. But it happens with children. So when you're trying to teach them the concept of red, redness, it's kind of hard. If the child's not ready for that, they're not going to get it at all. <laughs> so you start out concrete. And abstraction, you know, it takes a few years for the child to be able to abstract so if you teach them and they're not ready, um, you show them a red ball and a red block and a red, I don't know, chair, and you say, this is red. If they're not able to abstract very well, or they could make a mistake, they pick up a blue ball and they say red. So you see what they did? They abstracted ballness as red. <laughs> so, so then you have to say, oh, no, 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 that's blue. <laughs> right? And then colors are hard for children. That's why we test them. <laughs> Kindergartners get tested. Um, because that's a kind of a high abstraction to be able to do. But everything depends on doing that correctly. That, um, and we have to correct things as we go along. But the fact that we abstract is the first operation of the intellect. Right? And usually nobody debates me on that. So. <laughs> but you're, you're allowed to do that if you want. <laughs> I'm open to questions. Um, and then judgment is putting these things together. This is red. So that's a sentence that's much more complicated. Some people can do it at age two, some people it takes them a while. <laughs> um, but to make a, a judgment about reality, this is a chair, this is a podium, and, um, and that's dad, <laughs> you know? So those kind of judgment, that's a judgment. So we don't mean judgment as in judgmental, that's actually a um, much different thing, right? <laughs> so judgments are required for thinking. So you have to make judgments, not bad to make judgments. You have to do it, otherwise you can't drive. Right? So you're making judgments even though you don't know. And then reasoning is a, you know, a little bit higher thing to do, which is um, something you're probably enjoying doing every day while you're here, <laughs> reasoning, hopefully. If A equals B and B equals C, then given that it's true, <laughs> you can conclude, or you reason to a conclusion, that A equals C. Right? But B has to really be the same, otherwise it's not gonna be true. <laughs> Okay, so mathematics is helpful there for reasoning, and we do we drill the kids in that, <laughs> so that um, you can find errors in your own judgments or errors in your reasoning, de depending on what we're talking about, right? But generally, this is how the intellect is made to work. And what is the intellect after? 
Like, why is it doing this? Why are we making any judgments or reasoning or abstracting? Because we want something. Intellect is made for something. It's not actually made for its operation. It operates in order to obtain a concept that's true. <laughs> right? Truth is what we're going to say. Is the object of the intellect. So the intellect is not happy or not fulfilled, we would say, as an intellect, what it's made for, until it has truth. New wild concept, right? St. Thomas would be like, yeah. <laughs> right? So this is taken for granted, even by Aristotle, right? But we have to kind of re-emphasize re it nowadays, and I love to say it. <laughs> and I will say it over and over again, so you might have to stop me here, because right? I just love thinking about the fact that the intellect is made for truth. Even if it's truth about rocks, you know, that's that'll work. Right? Some people maybe don't want to go into rocks, like geology, is that what you want? But, but really, anybody who's fascinated by truth, you want the truth about the rock, you know? So, I uh, better not get, go down that road too far, <laughs> okay? So that's just to establish what we call the object of the intellect, what it's made for, and, and what it is fulfilled by is truth. If it were just knowledge, knowing things, that, and it didn't matter if it was true or not, then the person who knew the most things would be the happiest, the most fulfilled in their intellect, but we don't find that. We find that actually we don't need to know everything, <laughs> we just need to know what's true <laughs> right? in order to be happy, actually. Um, now the will, this is my favorite subject. <laughs> right? So if you want 400 pages on this, I didn't bring it tonight, but I could give it to you. <laughs> right? that, this is what I did my doctorate on. So. Um, you might have to stop me right, on this one. But the nature of the will is to desire and to delight. Notice that I don't say here the nature of the will is to choose. Say that. Some people misinterpret St. Thomas, uh, Thomas Aquinas, that is, <laughs> so it's uh, my favorite, um, to say that the, the intellect's job is to know and the will's job is to choose. That is... Not St. Thomas. So that's a misreading of St. Thomas. So let me just say that. <laughs> just make the claim, right? And then I can back it up if you want me to. Um, but really, St. Thomas says the nature of the will is to desire something desirable. That you have to perceive something as desirable, and then the will desires it. So it does depend on its intellect for its first motion um, to perceive something, even if it's just a cupcake. <laughs> my favorite object of good, right? that this is good. So anything that's perceived as good, even small good, or large good, really, really huge good, or it could be something small, but the will will be activated by anything that's good. Now we do often confuse this with passions, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, so, but its object um, being the good is not um, just to desire it. So we don't want to just constantly be in desiring. That's that is our mechanism. We're constantly desiring something that we don't have actually, right? to fulfill me. But once you have the good, once the good is obtained, it's the will that delights in it. This is the super fantastic thing that St. Thomas, I think, gives us about the nature of the human being, that we're made to delight in whatever's good, <laughs> whatever we think is good. So um, delighting is a big, important part of life, <laughs> and we don't want to squash that at all. Even though sometimes I have to deny myself a cupcake for the sake of what is truly good for me. I, not everything that I desire is going to be good for me. <laughs> so I have to order them, and I have to maybe sub, 
um, sacrifice some for the sake of others. That's normal. Everybody does that. <laughs> every, every parent does that. Everybody has to do that. So um, it's nice to know that this mechanism of the will of, of itself is to desire and delight. It depends on the intellect for the information about what is good and then will desire and want it until it gets it and then delight in it forever. <laughs> and um, you can't, the only thing that the, will satisfy the will is a good that it will mean that there's nothing left to desire and you can never lose it. That's what the will's made for. Such a good. <gasps> Could it be money? <laughs> Could it be, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, drugs? <laughs> Could it be anything else? Could it be anything else other than God? Actually, not to satisfy the nature of the will. So notice the, the intellect by its nature and the will by its nature desires the ultimate good to the ultimate truth, which can never be lost and which means that I would have nothing left to desire. So I kind of gave the end away. <laughs> what, is, what is the ultimate good? It's going to be God, um, although other goods are still worth pursuing. That's why you're after a degree. That's why you get married. That's why you, that's why you do anything, is because there's other goods that are, um, we know they're less than God. It's not God. But this good is going to help me get to God. That's what marriage is for. The, this person that I love is my friend. It's going to help me to get to God. The true friend helps you to get to God. And, um, and that's, what, that's what all the other goods are. So together, the intellect and the will are after some good, and they together they, is the act of choice. Choice is a, um, an act, right, that I choose something. But it's never the will by itself, even though the will is a pretty good motor power. I want something. It's, it is a mover, right? But it's not, the will never chooses without the intellect. It's metaphysically impossible. <laughs> so the intellect and the will are together, always in an act of choice. Now, St. Thomas says they go back and forth 12 times, but we won't get into it. <laughs> Just the moral act, one act, takes a lot of intellect and will. More or less 12, you know. It could be less. <laughs> right. um, and then finally, I obtain the cup. And I won't delight until I'm united to it. And that's why little children, they're going to eat anything that's attractive. You gotta watch out. They'll eat the marbles. They don't know because they want to be united to a good. It's perfect. <laughs> this is our nature. I want to be so united to the good that it never leaves me. It's good. I want it. <laughs> so, uh, grade school teachers know this really well. <laughs> um, okay, then there's this. Uh, we want to say the lower powers of the soul, right, or the passions. Um, and there's eleven passions, and they respond to particular goods. Actually, they're a response to reality. And whatever I perceive as good or evil. So it can be, you know, low level or high level, right? Um, and the most complex one and the most, uh, usually the most vehement passion is anger. Um, because it's about an evil that's present that I can't get rid of. And so it gives you this uh, push to fight, actually. And anger is useful. It keeps us alive. Without anger, we would die. <laughs> um, so do you want to know all the passions? I don't know if I even list them out here. I didn't list them out or anything. Well, it's useful to know. They're, Aristotle says they're like horses. They have their own proper objects, and you have to try to guide them. But it takes some training. <laughs> and the will takes some training, too, because I might go off after a good that's not really good for me. I could make a mistake. And so all of this requires training, and the ultimate training is truth. 
That's why we read books. <laughs> so that's why I read the Summa. <laughs> um, it's a good training ground. So our choices for a true good fulfill the intellect and the will. And this is what we call freedom. All right. Freedom is not just the will itself being able to choose. Because we're able to choose because we have an intellect and will. Basic. Right there. We're more or less free according to whether or not we can choose a true good. So freedom for St. Thomas is to be able to choose the true good, to do what that which fulfills my nature. And sometimes it is a cupcake. Most of the time it's not. <laughs> and now it's very rare, <laughs> but um, it's, I have to discern that. What is the true good for me here and now? And every time you choose a true good, it makes you more and more free. So that's why virtue comes in. To, to choose a true good takes a lot of virtue and exercise. Um, and grace, don't forget, right? So Aristotle didn't know about grace, poor guy, <laughs> right? This, I could never live, right? This, this would be, even the truth about this would be depressing if I didn't know about grace, Because right? <laughs> we can't do it. I can't even choose the right cupcake at the right time without grace, you know? So it's hard, it's hard to do. Um, and get our passions in line, which we know from original sin, the passions are, have a tendency to be out of order. So um, to get them in line, it's no small feat. That requires lots of virtues, like 265, if you read the Summa, <laughs> just to guide the passions. <laughs> well, not, not exactly. Intellect, will, and passions. Right? We need a lot of muscles to get this, actually, the choice of a true good to work well and habitually and happily, easily and delightfully. And then we can delight in the true good. So we're not surprised that it doesn't work out so well, especially with original sin. So... That's what we're made for. Oh, the passions, they should help us, but I have a broken line there because they don't always help us. Sometimes they can take us away from a true good because they want their own proper things. We want, want to be happy at all costs, <laughs> but sometimes I have to deny them a little bit and to get them in order. Um, so that they do share in our choice for a true good and they should be there for us to love a true good, but when they're not, it's okay, I'm not totally swayed by them, and they're not the main mover for me. They're there, and they can be cumbersome, but sometimes they're really in line. You ever have this happen when emotions are really involved in doing what is really, truly good? Oh, love. <laughs> That's great, right? And you do want them there. It would be strange if someone asked somebody to marry him. Let's say a man asks a woman to marry him, and uh, he says, I love you, but he has no emotion. They love <laughs> you would want, uh, I would might say, I'm not sure I believe that. <laughs> um, if you're not emotional, if you don't have your passions, at least, you know, with that, especially something so important as that, um, then it's a little less believable. Right? Because we're, we are united. We want our, all of our faculties to be united in our choices. Okay. All right. So that's like moral theology in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Um, basically... And whereas truth, goodness, and beauty come in as a correspondence to our natural faculties, the intellect, the will, and the emotions. So truth is that which fulfills the intellect, right? And a definition of truth, well, anybody want to offer? <laughs> I like, yes. Uh -huh. uh, that which is. Oh, I like it. Yeah, that which is. Mm -hmm. You can do that. Yeah, I wanted to add to it. Conformation to reality? Oh, that's what I like. The intellect's conformation to reality. Conforming my intellect to reality. 
And if God does it for me, that's the easiest. I love it when he does that. Just gives me truth in the intellect. That's cool. <laughs> but usually I have to work at it. <laughs> right? Um, so truth is, well, first of all, reality, just like you said. And when my intellect conforms to it, I have truth in my intellect. It can be about rocks or cupcakes or it can be about God. God's the best. <laughs> so I'm the luckiest person in the world. I get to talk about God all day. <laughs> That's really great. Um, so this is the object into the intellect, and that is St. Thomas's definition, right? when the intellect conforms to reality. So notice that it's something that is outside me. Um, and when I am in line with that, I have truth. Right? So this is not the modern idea, just so you know. This is a medieval idea. <laughs> but it hasn't changed. <laughs> and usually I get a lot of pushback on that one. So um, if you have that question, though, we can save it for that slide. Okay, about truth itself. So goodness is the object of the will, and really it's just that which is desirable. This is very, very basic. So small, um, it's a small definition for a very big idea. <laughs> and it's very broad, yeah. So anything that the, the will delights in. And we do have to be careful because we could still have a passionate delight, um, it seems like the will, in, in delighting in something that's evil. But technically, St. Thomas is going to say we cannot desire evil as evil. The will is made to desire good as good. So what happens? How come we do evil? <laughs> How come I want something evil? Well, you have to think about this. It's that there's some aspect of desirability in that evil. And that's what does it. And that's what hooks us in and makes us go for something that's not truly good. But you can't desire evil as evil. This is against human nature. <laughs> um, so that's just something to think about if that's a new thought I'll let you think about it for a while <laughs> um, but that's what uh, St. Thomas says and beauty this is like a combination of the two and many different definitions for beauty I didn't really <laughs> I didn't really find one that I thought I could put in here but it's when the intellect pursues the truth goodness harmony Proportion and clarity, that's what Thomas adds to it, that there's a proportion and clarity to something, whether it's an idea or a painting or a sunset, right? There's something in it that we say, oh, that's beautiful. So it's hard to describe beauty, and um, when we differ on it, we allow for that because it involves all these things together in a perception. So there can be differences. Some people really like modern art, and some people really like classical art, you know? Okay, well, we can talk about that later. <laughs> there is some objectivity, though. We don't, I, I am a painting major, right? So we don't say there's no objectivity to beauty. There is, because it says, most people agree, Michelangelo's um, statues are beautiful, even if they don't like classical art or something. There's a beauty there that's, that grabs everybody, because there's such a, an amazing thing that he did. Right? Um, and in Italy, it's really nice. They have this word, brutto, <laughs> for ugly. <laughs> and they'll say it very often. And uh, even, you know, it could be uh, even a food, you know, oh, it's brutto. <laughs> Anything they don't like is brutto. <laughs> it's an interesting thing. Um, so they're really equating beauty with goodness um, very often in daily life. And actually, that's okay. We would say that's fine. There was attracts, is, we think, is beautiful. Okay. So, one, this is to remind me to say one more thing about truth, right, the objectivity of it. 
um, that there, there is such a thing. <laughs> so I love to introduce this to people if they've never heard this before. If somebody says to you, well, there is no truth. Sister Angelica, there's no truth. And what, well, what do you say to them? <laughs> do you ever come back? <laughs> Dominicans love to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well, and I have had people actually say this to me. I don't know if you have. I mean, in a, um, a, another college I was in, um, there is no truth. And I, and I said, well, do you think that's true? <laughs> and, and he said, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, do you not see the problem? And he didn't see the problem. This guy was a doctor. Right? He was a, a doctor. And I was like, um, there's a problem. <laughs> so it's a, reality has nothing to do with it then. It's, a, it's just what I, I'm saying words that don't mean anything. Then nothing, and I did say to him, well, Mike, don't get married. <laughs> you cannot marry that girl because you can't say I'm married today and tomorrow I'm not married. You can't do that. <laughs> and I said, and if you're thinking this, you have to tell her. That's not fair to marry her if you don't tell her that you think this way. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't mean to ruin his marriage, but it didn't work out. And I've made him famous, Mike the Modernist. He's a real person, and I did argue with him every day for a long time, for about four months, until finally I got him to admit to me that the tree is there. But it took me a long time, because he was so indoctrinated with this strange thing, that there is no truth, or if there is a truth, you can't know it. And I said, except for that one, <laughs> that which you think is true. <laughs> so it's, a, it's constant self-contradiction and we cannot let them get away with it anymore if you love someone you cannot let them do that it's, it's, um, it's going to be miserable for them right? this causes misery because you reject the very thing the intellect was made for and then what do you do with the intellect? nothing scary <laughs> right? and depressing so it's pretty severe to reject the idea that there is no truth now, once you accept there is a truth what is the truth? Okay, now we can start talking. <laughs> now we can argue all day, really. And how do you know? Okay, I love to talk about that. But that's another subject <laughs> for another day. But uh, just to put it in your minds, like, don't let people get away with that. Okay. So, and here's some ways that you can not let people get away with it. <laughs> right? So just a few ways to argue. The goal of creation is truth because the origin of creation is mine. That's from Aquinas. Uh, summa contra gentiles, in case. Oh, that one. Um, the pursuit of truth is man's dignity. That's really from Pope John Paul II, but I don't think I gave him credit. <laughs> right? um, part of our dignity is to do this, and it, it fulfills us. The truth is strong in itself. Nothing can prevail against it. Ooh, don't forget, right? the truth is amazing. It's really, Jesus said, I am the truth. <laughs> the pr to pursue truth is a kind of prayer, leading one to God, the source of all truth. And that's what should happen. Um, so uh, even a, an atheist, though, still has some wanting to pursue truth. They think it's true that there is no God. So we can start with that. You can start anywhere you want, as long as they don't reject truth, right? or that we're made for it and that you want it for some reason. Right? And to receive truth requires a kind of integrity of a way of living. Oh, this is kind of a big one. And this is all throughout Scripture and all throughout um, Thomas's moral tract. That we're made for this, and to receive it, we have to receive it. Our mind has to get in it a concept that does correspond to reality, and it really ultimately comes from God. 
so much so that Bonaventure thought that every act of the intellect required grace. It's interesting. Thomas didn't agree with that, but it's an interesting point because it is a mystery. How do we get a mind? That's something in our mind anyway. Right? It's kind of hard to describe. And the people who know the truth and the highest and most deepest truth, especially about God, we notice this interesting correlation with the way they live and that everything's received according to the mode of the receiver. So the person who wants to live by the truth that they receive, that is integrity, honesty, um, they have a better chance at getting the truth in there. It's a pretty great thing. But that is not only Christian, but definitely Christian. <laughs> the Jews also believe that. <laughs> um, so here's what Jesus says, right? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And, um, and this is the connection between truth and freedom. And again, freedom is not this idea that I do what I want to do, when I want, how I want, where I want, right? That's not real freedom. That's fake freedom. That's the blueberry girl from The Wizard of Oz, right? She's obnoxious. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a goal. The goal is to be able to choose the true good, which takes virtue and takes a lot of trial and some error. <laughs> we admit that it's not easy to choose whatever is truly good all the time. Um, but that's our goal. That is what we're made for. And then we become truly free. When there's nothing in the way of doing what is right, you're the most happy and the most free, and you've got to be virtuous. <laughs> then, and you can get virtue infused. Charles Joe Foucault went in a moment. <laughs> That's a little rare, but it can happen. Right? And you should pray for it. You should pray for that. Any virtue I need, and first of all, pray for it, and then you work hard. And both me and God do it together. Um, so he makes us more free. And knowing the truth is a big part of that. Goodness, okay, uh, that which is desirable. So we've already said these things, so I'm gonna go faster through this because <laughs> I have a lot more to go. Um, there is an aspect of union to this that causes the lover to desire union with the beloved somehow. When it's another person, you can kind of see this automatically. And a cupcake, you wanna eat it. Um, but also philosophy, <laughs> uh, God. We want union with God somehow. How can I have it right now? By desire. St. Catherine says you have already God by desire. Wow. <laughs> I have that which I want. Maybe not fully in this life, but fully in the next life. So inch by inch or grace by grace, we have God in this life. And, um, and that should make us happy, even if a lot of other things go wrong <laughs> and the car breaks down and <laughs> things like that. Right. Um, so union with the beloved, ooh, when it's God, this really changes the whole game. Um, and it's possible. It is possible. Um, so every good mysteriously reflects something about God, even the company. <laughs> and it can be a means to draw me closer to him. And that's the, the hierarchy of goods there. But any good, small good, little good. One day I told the Lord, well, I love you so much. What can I give you? I should give up something for you. because that's kind of Jansenistic. But anyway, <laughs> I was in my Jansenist mode. And I said, I'll, I'll give up M&Ms because I love M&Ms. <laughs> it would be like, oh, I've given everything. You know, I did give you everything, but I could give you more. I could give you M&Ms. So I was all happy with that. And then I thought, oh, no, everybody knows I love M&Ms. And so I don't want to be showy about this gift that I'm giving to God. Then it's a showy thing. So I couldn't do that. And then I said, okay, what I'll do is I won't just, I won't like grasp after them like I always do. <laughs> and I'll only eat them if it's given to me. 
And so that's a little bit tricky in the convent. It's not going to happen very often, right? So, <laughs> so I thought that was a good one. Nobody's going to notice that I'm not grasping after the evidence. But if it's given to me, I'll have it if it's offered to me. And um, so I go to my cell. I made this prayer. It's like 9.30 and I, I go to my cell. And this is the biggest bag of M&Ms I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This really happened. <laughs> so now I have totally free reign to eat M&Ms. <laughs> but it was him saying, I'm in charge of what good is good for you. And I'll give it to you when you need it. And I, it was so great. Was like, you don't have to give me M&Ms. <laughs> you just give me yourself and I'll take care of the M&Ms. <laughs> so it was awesome. Awesome. And every good can be related to God. Every good. Even M&Ms, everything, anything. Even, look at this, every evil, right? It can be used by God for some good. Maybe it doesn't feel like it right now, but he can use everything. And that's what evil, that's when we defeat the devil. God turns evil to good, the cross. That's why, that's why I wear this, right? Not just so I can talk to you, but um, that's what he does. So he can turn everything to good. So, yeah, amazing. And that, that's what we're made for. <laughs> Um, there's Moses. Look at that. <laughs> okay. The object of the will. True goodness is the most attractive thing in the world. And that's what we see. Like, the virtuous person is the most attractive person. The good changes us. It has an effect on us. That's another whole track that Thomas does have on um, love. Causes a change in the, the lover. Um, and not just the beloved. That <laughs> right? um, the good has an effect on us. Um, it's already present in the will by desire. Everything that's good. Now, I have this big, long tract on beauty. <laughs> we won't go word for word, right? Um, and this is from John Paul II's letter to artists, which I do have a fascination with. In perceiving all that he created was good, God saw that it was beautiful as well. Um, the link between good and beautiful stirs fruitful reflection. And throughout the 2,000 years, we have lots on this. <laughs> and he says, beauty is the visible form of the good. That's a very good definition very Thomistic, just as the good is a metaphysical condition of beauty. This was well understood by the Greeks who, fusing the two concepts, coined the term. I can't pronounce it. Kalakagatha, <laughs> or beauty goodness. On this point, Plato writes, the power of the good has taken refuge in the nature of the beautiful. So he's not just being poetic there, he's being philosophical about um, that this has a power, the power to attract and to stick um, and to change us if we're open to it. And again, is something that we receive. But we, we don't conjure up, I'm gonna go buy a whole pound of beauty tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's, it's something that happens in, in, in a way is a gift. Um, so true freedom is the combined action of intellect and will moving to the true good. And this, um, just the whole concept of, concept of this is beautiful to me. <laughs> so I just mention it as that, <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Um, each. Free choice develops our freedom, but it has to be a true good. Not aware. So, uh, really, freedom is only about true good. Um, and that's why we say sin enslaves us, right? St. Augustine says. It needs virtue to sustain that. Um, and this capacity for free choice is known as the libidum arbitrium. This is just a side point, but I got to teach you something really good tonight. <laughs> right? In St. Thomas, he never uses the term free will. So, when you read that in English, that's wrong. <laughs> I could prove it to you, but I don't want to get out of this thing. Like, we could go online. If you want to check it out, go to Aquinas.cc, where you have all the works of Aquinas, the Summa Theologiae, Prima Secundae, Prologue. And look at the Latin with the English. 
The Latin is Librum Arbitrium. And if Thomas wanted to say free will, what would he have said? Any lines? <laughs> Yes, liberum voluntatis. The voluntas is the will, but he didn't say that. He never says that. In fact, he says liberum arbitrium, which doesn't translate into English. But there's still no excuse for the free will, <laughs> for the translation. Still no excuse for it. This didn't happen until the 1400s, before the Reformation, to introduce the concept of free will. Thomas never had it. It's, it's this, this capacity for free choice is the only way we can say it in English. And you've got to use the whole thing, capacity for free choice, because it's the combined action of the intellect and will together. It never happens that intellect knows and the will chooses. It's a misreading of St. Thomas. He never had that idea. The intellect and the will together choose the true good. And we know this because we know that to sin, to choose a false good, I have to know something. <laughs> I can't ever say, oh, I, t I didn't know that. And then it's not a sin. If I didn't know it, it's not imputed to me. But knowledge is always involved in a sin. So we know this happens. Okay. So um, I point this out because it does have many ramifications if you are going to read St. Thomas, especially the Prima Sequinity. And every single time you see the word free will, you cross it out <laughs> and you put free choice because you get the idea, the wrong idea, that the will could act on its own freely. Like, like, whatever, without the intellect, which you can't do. You can't do it. Impossible. And Thomas never meant that, never meant for that idea to enter our mind. So if you read St. Thomas's moral theology with this mistranslation, which we've had for 500 years, not just 50, <laughs> then you misunderstand St. Thomas. So I'm just telling you that so that when next time you read St. Thomas, which hopefully will be tomorrow, <laughs> um, or at least this weekend, you can correct that for yourselves. It is starting to be corrected. The Dominicans are starting to do it. Goodness. But it's hard. To, it's hard going. Um, but it changes your understanding of a moral act, of moral action, and, and freedom. That it's not freedom without the intellect. Freedom without truth is never going to be free. That's going to be slavery. And it's the reason why we're in the problem we're in today, epitomized by the slogan "pro-choice." <laughs> what matters is that I choose it, and then the intellect uh, or the will is is fulfilled by choosing. Then. For all eternity, I have to choose. Well, no, you're going to be, that's miserable. For all eternity, I'm going to delight in the truth given, received. So this misunderstanding of the human being can never work. And I do think it's epitomized by that slogan. So I tell you that for free information. <laughs> right? um, search for beauty and you'll find God. Right? I have a few beautiful things here. Truth, goodness, and beauty open the soul to heaven. But it, this is ultimately leading us to heaven. Everything beautiful, everything true, everything good. Think on these things, as St. Paul says. Um, receiving them brings us into contact with the life of God, elevating our faculties and strengthening us in grace. Um, and they're received. We think we're doing all this work. But ultimately, to get to heaven is to receive God, the true and the good, who wants to unite us to him. I can't say, unite me to you now. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> he has to do it. So man's highest act, we often think, is to do something, to produce, to build. And we enjoy these things, to act, to create. But really, um, the, man's highest act will be to receive the beatific vision. <laughs> uh, with intellect and will together, receiving that which is the ultimate true good. Truth and good. 
So let's see, faced with the sacredness of life and the human person, um, that wonder is the appropriate attitude. That's again, Pope John Paul II. This wondrous thing that we are made like this to receive God. <laughs> um, and, and that God is really wanting to do it and starting to do it already. Eucharist is, the, is one of the best ways, right? If not the best, the most um, full contact we have with God right now. But in so many other ways, he wants contact with us and he's doing it. He's doing it. He's doing it right now before my very eyes, right? And in you and in me, if we want him to, he's doing it. He's working. Um, and he's the, the one who's going to unite us to him forever. And sometimes it might mean he has to do a little surgery on my soul. It has to heal all kinds of things, usually emotions need a lot of healing. Um, that's normal. This is the way we are. We're wounded. And whatever it is that he has to do, he's, he wants to do it so that he can really unite us to himself. One time I had a high school girl who said, um, are you saying God wants us to share in the life of the Trinity? And I said, Yes! <laughs> That's what I've been saying for three months. <laughs> that is what this whole thing is saying, right? She got it, she got it. Wow. And, and it was pretty impressive. Um, and she got it just in time, because she was killed in a car accident right after that. And I was like, oh, I have to tell her mother. <laughs> this, it was a really severe lesson for me, but every day matters. Every, everything that, that we do and say matters. And somebody else's life might depend on it, really. But she got it. She got it today, and I know she's praying for me right now. And she's she's like, hurry up. <laughs> I want you here. Um, so the goal is God, right? Um, wisdom is the tasted knowledge of the truth, goodness, beauty that the human being seeks by nature, which is found only in Christ, which is above our nature. <gasps> Nietzsche thought this was unjust of God to make us naturally want an end that's beyond our nature to get on ourselves. Poor guy. <laughs> that, <is> so, <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> but we say, oh, thank you, God. Oh, Felix Culpa, the unnecessary fault, that won for us such a great redeemer. So that now we are raised above, way above our nature, way above Adam and Eve, whatever the, the gifts they had, way above anything we could ever imagine, above the angels. Yeah, that's our goal, is that not that our nature will change, but be so elevated that it even is above the angels. Pretty amazing. Okay, thank you, God. <laughs> That's from Vivian Boland, a good friend of mine. So, so ultimately, why did God create this, this crazy thing called a human being? For his great glory, right? And that we would share in his great glory, that we would be able to share in the life of the Trinity and give glory to him forever and delight in everything that he does and wills and wants and is <laughs> forever. Um, and that we're really made for this. And um, it's the only thing that really will set us free. The only thing that really is um, worth our life, right? <laughs> worth laying down our life for when we understand this. To know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So I, I veered off my... Um, my paper a little bit in order to save time <laughs> and uh, and open it up for questions. Um, I do have more written on the back of it and I tried to do pictures because I know that that helps people remember things. <laughs> but I'm not testing you, <laughs> this is just, just for fun um, to, to know especially what the intellect and will are for. And I do have some uh, just extra things to read there. 
So we could take questions. You have to. Okay. Yes. What actually happens in the faculties when we choose to sit? Oh, good, good point. Okay, what happens in them? So there's a disruption, just like um, when you fulfill yourself, uh, when, or when we're fulfilled by a good act, we experience joy, peace, delight, okay? So when we don't do that, we actually have some diminishment of our powers, St. Thomas says. There's a, a corresponding diminishment to the intellect and the will, and a lessening of the strength to do good. So we, at, at the least, we have some diminishment. And then it could be even a complete disruption. Not complete, but a severe disruption. Um, we injure ourselves in a way. It's kind of like scraping your knee, right? But it can happen to the soul. And he describes it as a stain on the soul and then some diminishment of the powers corresponding to the act. And how much I knew. How much am I responsible? Okay. Yes. So does um, like reconciliation have something to do with like the, so like, what, like a reviving of the powers? Yes, reconciliation is going to give you super abundant grace to heal the powers, to be forgiven of the sin, to be rectified with relationship with God, or increased if, if it hasn't been broken by mortal sin, venial sin also. And then also this, um, it's like rubbing off the stain, <laughs> right? And then also giving you super abundant grace uh, to not commit that particular sin again. So, yeah, reconciliation is filled with even more than that, right? Dispels demons, gets you free from ties like a chain, St. Augustine says. It breaks those chains. It does a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. not, and not only will it heal the faculties, but also heal the faculties. Insofar as God wills, right? So St. Augustine did say it took him quite a few months to... Um, to be healed of a lot of his lust. It, in that one moment, he receives the grace to turn, but then he needed a lot of healing. So, and that comes from prayer, crying. He said he cried a lot. <laughs> For six months, he cried. And that was healing. That crying is healing. So there's all kinds of ways that our, our powers get healed. But reconciliation is number one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, thank you, and help me thank Sister Mary Angelica for visiting with us.